Today we are starting a new series and we're calling it Overcome. And I honestly think it could be incredibly helpful for so many people in this room. And the reason why is, is along the lines of what Shelly just said, what I just prayed. I think pretty much every person in this room, there's most likely something that you struggle with on a consistent basis. Right? There's something for you that just keeps recurring in your life. It's not just a one-time thing, you did it, you feel bad, it's over. But it's something that tends to constantly rear its ugly head in your life. You may get freedom for a day or a week or a month or even maybe a little longer. But the story of your life is that that thing, whatever it is, just will not stop coming for you. And listen, you may absolutely hate this thing. You may hate it, but you just can't seem to shake loose of it, right? I think all of us have something, okay? I think, I think for some of us, it's lust, right? Like the, there's this issue, lust, we hate it. You hate where it leads you. You hate how you feel after you give in, but for whatever reason, you just cannot seem to get free. For some of us, it's an addiction or it's a habit. Uh, yours may involve anger or some other emotion that you cannot uh, seem to control. For some, maybe we have this recurring theme in our life where we just constantly find ourselves in really, really destructive relationships, right? Like you swear you're not going to do it again, but six months later you're in the same spot with a new person, but it's just as destructive as it was six months ago. Um, again, it, if we dig really deep, um, for some of us in this room, it's not maybe something that you've done, but maybe something that was done to you. And maybe that was done a long time ago, but you just can't seem to get past it, Right? Like there's stuff in our lives, there's junk in our lives, and we might hate it, we may want it gone, but just because you hate it and want it gone doesn't mean that it's going anywhere, right? Like how do we overcome these things? Here's where we're going to dig in today in this series called Overcome. I, I believe that almost all of our issues that we usually face, I think they begin in our mind. They begin in here. And eventually, they flesh themselves out into actions and behaviors and attitudes, but it starts in our minds. And today, we're not only talking about overcoming the mind, but I think there absolutely is freedom to be had because the grace of Jesus is come to set us free, okay? And so, what we're talking about today is overcoming the mind. Listen to these verses in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so... The Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual battle going on. We are all in this spiritual battle, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. There is a spiritual battle. But the enemy, the spiritual enemy, is not fought the way we're fighting ISIS or whatever we're fighting on earth, right? We're not fighting with nukes and assault rifles. That's not the way the spiritual enemy is defeated. But that doesn't make the spiritual enemy not real and not powerful and not devastating, uh, the enemy is real. He, the Bible says that he is a roaring lion seeking to devour. He's coming after you. He plays dirty. dirty. Like, he doesn't care if you're down. He, 
he's going to find a way in. He doesn't care if everything in your life's going good. He's going to find a way to try to sneak in. He does not care. He knows the exact ways that you are weak. He knows uh, those areas in your life that aren't as strong as others. He will exploit those areas, and he will make you as ineffective for God as he possibly can. He wants to keep you paralyzed, distracted, um, afraid, busy. He wants you to settle. He doesn't want to see you thrive. And if you're a believer in this room, you have to understand, like, this is real, and the enemy is coming for you. Okay? Now... It's a spiritual battle, right? Now, on the other side, we have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, we believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He uh, leads us. He wants to guide us. He wants to walk with us as we attempt to leverage our lives for eternity. And listen, the, the enemy is no match for the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So we play a game called Gaga Ball. Um, that is, uh, that's eight eight-foot tables right there. We play that on uh, Friday night, and we play it a lot. But basically, a bunch of people get in that ring, and we have to hit this ball around. If you get hit below the knees, you have to get out, okay? And so at Illuminate, our youth conference a couple weeks ago, um, on Saturday afternoon, we did a bunch of games, and we had these breakouts. And I basically manned the gaga ball pit for two hours straight, and all these different students rotated through. And I'm pretty proud of this. Uh, There was a time when I was in there with all the junior high girls, and... And in all honesty, I did not take it easy on them whatsoever. Not only did I not take it easy on them, but I absolutely dominated that ring against those girls. Uh, I, I honestly felt like Billy Madison, like wrecking the court, like, oh, Doyle rules. But uh, if you're a 90s kid, you get that reference. Um, but yeah, junior high girls don't stand a chance against a 35-year-old grown man, apparently, okay? Um, but I'm holding on to that. So when you... When you think about your spiritual battle, it's not like, man, the enemy's strong and God's strong. It's a fight, and I I really hope God wins, right? Like, the Bible, the way it talks about it, God has already overcome. He's already won the battle. Like, he's already, like, it's more unfair than me going against a bunch of junior high girls in gaga ball, right? Like, like the the enemy against God is not a fair fight. God is going to win every time. The enemy cannot stand. So that, that means we have to ask a question. If God's that powerful, then why is the enemy so effective in our life? <laughs> if it's not a fair fight, if the enemy is going to be demolished by Jesus every single time, then how in the world is the enemy so effective in our lives on a consistent basis? Why do we have things that keep recurring in our lives if the enemy is so much weaker than God? Right? All right, go back to our text. What Paul's saying is the gospel is so transformative. The gospel is so transformative that that it changes things. Like the gospel literally changes things. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, it is so authoritative, it is so transformative that somehow they can demolish strongholds. Hey, I want to pause real quick. The gospel is not just for those who are far from Christ. Right? We want to preach the gospel and we want those who don't know Christ to believe the gospel of Jesus, right? And we want them to put their faith and trust in him and we want them to spend eternity with him. We want them to know Jesus. But the gospel is just as much for believers as it is for unbelievers. 
The gospel is the truth about God for us. And the deeper we go into the gospel, the more free we get. And I'm going to hopefully walk you through this throughout the rest of our time. But when you think about the gospel, don't think about non-Christians. Think the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. Tim Keller says it's the A to Z. You never get past the gospel. You only go deeper into it. Okay? And so the gospel that Jesus stepped out of heaven, lived a sinless life, died the death that I deserve on the cross, uh, rose the third day overcoming sin, death, and the grave, ascended into heaven at the right hand of God, and will one day come again. That reality, that truth, that news is not just the best news in the world, but it's for all of us. And the deeper we go into it, the freer we get. Okay? Are y'all with me? Okay. So what's a stronghold? If, we ha- if, if the gospel has this power to, to demolish these strongholds, uh, what is a stronghold? Beth Moore has a great definition. It's that she says this, anything that exalts itself in our minds, pretending to be bigger or more powerful than our God, that is a stronghold, right? Remember, we're dealing with overcoming the mind, okay? And so she's talking about anything that exalts itself in our minds, pretending to be something bigger or more powerful than our God. That word pretending in that, in that definition is so, so good. Think about your thing, the thing that plagues you, the thing that you can't seem to get past. So often, doesn't it just seem like that thing is so much bigger than God? Like it, like you know in your mind it's not, but it, in that moment it feels like that, right? Like it just feels overwhelming. It feels like you almost are trapped, like you have to do this, like you have no choice but to give in and do what you know you shouldn't do. It feels like you have no other options. Um, you know this is bad, but you just feel overwhelmed like this thing is something you have to do. Like it feels, it seems like God just is not powerful enough to fix those things. Listen, that's all happening in your mind. That's not real life, right? Jesus has overcome the grave. Like, like all that, the seems, the feels, like, like that assumption, like that's all happening in our mind. And you most likely are having those thoughts and those feelings because those things, those issues have now become strongholds in your life. And whatever your thing is, it, it pretends, it seems to be so much bigger than God. And it just seems like he can't overcome it because it just feels too big. That's a stronghold in your life. How many of you have ever gotten into a fight with a sibling or maybe with a close friend? Okay, just for my sake, everyone raise your hand because you've done what I'm about to say. Okay, you, you've gotten into this fight. So you're, you're chasing your little brother or sister. They run into a room and shut the door. What's the one thing that you can do? That would be destructive. You don't want to break down doors, guys. But listen, if, if you can open the door just a little bit and get your foot in, what happens? Right, like they're trying to shut the door, but your foot is stuck in there. Like they cannot possibly shut the door as long as your foot's standing right there between the, the door jam and the door. Okay, I'm not a carpenter. Is that what it's called? All right. So your foot is in the doorway, right? Like you got your foot in the door. Your sibling cannot possibly shut the door. Listen, church, the strongholds in your life almost always start as footholds. 
The strongholds in your life almost always start as footholds. They almost always seem insignificant. They seem simple. They seem boring. They seem lame. They seem like it's not going to be that big of a deal. And the enemy gets his foot in the door of your life, of your heart, of your mind, and he begins to weasel his way in. What started as a foothold will eventually become a stronghold. It may start small, it may start insignificant, but over time, it's going to get to this point where it's a stronghold and it just feels impossible to overcome. What is a stronghold almost always starts as a foothold. You've got to hear this part. You ready? The devil has power, but he does not have authority. The devil has power, but he does not have authority. He can actually do stuff. Right? Like he is a spiritual being. He can do stuff. But Jesus gave us his authority. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says, Then Jesus came and said to them, he just resurrected from the dead. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. What he's doing is saying, God has given me all this authority, and I'm giving it to my church, to my people, to go and to live the life that I've called them to live. What happens when we believe the lies of the enemy, when we, believe, when we give in and believe the temptation of the enemy, what we are doing is empowering him who has no authority with authority that he shouldn't have. When we obey the lie of the enemy, when we um, give in to his temptation, we are giving him power that he does not have. We empower the liar. We empower the accuser. And now all of a sudden he has no authority. He has, he has no authority, but then we actually honestly give him the authority that we have been given. And so when we buy into his lies, what happens is he begins to work overtime in our life to establish a stronghold. And listen, just for further clarification, if you kind of want to know some symptoms of a stronghold in your life, here is three. When a stronghold is in your life, when the enemy's kind of set up shop, it has the potential to contaminate your emotional energy. Your desires for the things of God tend to wane when the enemy has set up shop in your life, right? Like the things of God just don't seem as appealing as they once did, right? This can also look like having feelings of hopelessness or depression. Not all depression or hopelessness is spiritual attack, but I think sometimes it can be. A symptom of us being controlled by our sinful stronghold is that we feel so overwhelmed uh, that it almost looks like and feels like depression and hopelessness in our lives. We feel so emotionally drained all the time, and maybe it's because we've bought into the lie of the enemy, and this stronghold has built itself up in our life. Here's another one. Strongholds can distract us from our purpose in life. I think sometimes, like, you're a Christian, right? but you're just in chains. Like you're not living the life that you know for a fact Jesus died for you to live. And I think the enemy is like, you know what? They're a Christian, like that's fine. If I can just keep them ineffective, I'll consider that a win as well, right? And so we get distracted from our purpose in life and the enemy's like, maybe I lost them. Maybe they've given their hearts to Jesus, but who cares? If I can keep them focused on their stronghold, if I can keep them focused on all the wrong things, then they'll live a whole life and not be as effective as God has called them to be. They'll never live up to their God-given design or potential because I can keep them so focused and so distracted that they're going to miss some of what God might have for them. I think we can be so distracted that we can't concentrate on the things of God. And I, one of my fears is that I would get to the end of my life and realize that I'd wasted years 
distracted by the enemy and not focusing on what God has specifically called me to. Here's a third one. Symptom. Strongholds can rob you of abundant life. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's true if a Christian's always happy all the time. Like if you read the Psalms, they're not always happy, right? It's like, where are you, God? It's like, he needs, he needs a gift or a hug. Like something, he needs to be cheered up a little bit, right? Like if, if you're always happy all the time, that's great. I don't think that's real life, okay? Like on the other hand, like Jesus is very clear that he has come to give us abundant life. Like John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Like Jesus wants us to have this joyful, abundant, full life. Not that you were always happy, nothing goes bad, but there's this deep joy that I think Jesus died that we could grasp and embody and, and have. But I think what happens is when the enemy sets up shop in our life, when our strongholds are just so big and they seem bigger than God, we lose sight of the abundant life that God had died for us to have, right? I think it, I think it happens. So let's take a step back. Let's, let's, let's think. If strongholds are real, and then if we don't fight the way the world fights, right? Like, how do we fight? How do we fight? Our text told us. Did y'all see it? Go back to it. That last part says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There's the, like the battle that wages in your mind is more important than you might think. Okay, I'm still getting to know people, so I don't know how accurate my assumption is. But in my experience, we tend to, to not take what happens in our minds seriously enough. I think almost all of your battle, almost all your spiritual warfare, it begins in our mind. And so this idea of taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ is one of the key things that we can possibly do to live the life that God has called us to live. And so there's three thing, three ways that I think taking your thoughts captive could look. I don't think these are the only ways, but I think these three things help us understand more fully what that phrase says when it says, take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. I think the first thing is that we must be mindful about our mind. We must be mindful about our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a transformation that comes when we renew our minds the way the Bible is calling us to. Like we, we have to be mindful about our mind because there's something about renewing that mind that brings us healing, that brings us transformation. How are you mindful about your mind? <laughs> I think it matters what you put into your mind. I, I think you can't fill your mind with trash and wonder why your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, and your desires reflect trash. I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody, okay? You can't put trash in and expect trash not to come back out. The other thing is this, and this is probably for a lot more people. I think you need to be super aware of how certain movies, videos, social media, and your overall screen time affect your heart and soul, Okay? Like, how does those things actually affect your soul? I think for many of us, one very practical thing that we can do is learn better habits and rhythms with our screen time, but that's, that's probably a different sermon, okay? Be mindful about your mind. What are we putting into our mind? The second thing is this. This one's a little more interesting, in my opinion. 
You don't just need to be mindful about what you put into your mind. You need to be mindful of the actual thoughts that you have. Do you know that the person who talks to you the most is you? We all talk to ourselves, right? Hopefully not out loud. That's a different level, okay? But the person who talks to you the most is you. So my question is, what are you saying to yourself? Like, what are you saying to yourself? Listen, there's a difference between, like, pushing yourself and self-condemnation. Those are different things. There is a difference between analyzing a situation and then constantly heaping on guilt and shame, right? There is a difference, uh, right? There's a way to work through an experience or something that happened or like an event. It's something totally different to constantly replay what happened and allow it to build anxiety and stress in your life. How many of you are the warriors who replay the situation over and over and over? Come on, guys. My people. All right. Listen, listen. You're the one that talks to yourself the most. What are you saying to yourself? If I can just be as honestly, as honest as I can, and just like kind of put some of my cards on the table, this is how it looks for me. So I can fail at something, right? Like um, a husband or a dad or a pastor or whatever, like I can fail, I can drop the ball, right? We all have these moments where we struggle. Like I can have these moments where I fail. In my mind, I can go from, I failed at this thing or I failed in this situation. In my mind, I go from that to, I am a failure. Those are two radically different thoughts. Radically different thoughts. I failed could be an absolute proper assessment of the situation. And it probably is, right? Like, like I probably did fail in that situation. But going from I failed in this moment to I am a failure, that's totally different. I am a failure is me assigning myself an identity based on my ability to perform. And that is spiritually deadly, right? To go from I failed at this to I am a failure is, is deadly. Did you know that one of the names of the enemy is the accuser? And he's good at it. He is good at it. If you've ever had those thoughts in your head and you hear, you are stupid, I can't believe you did that, everyone else is gonna be so annoyed at you, this is just the way you are, or why can't you be different? Do you hear the word you in all those statements? Think about that. If that's in your mind, who's talking to you? Have you ever thought about that? I believe sometimes the enemy gets into our minds and begins accusing you. He gets in there and he just lets you have it. And if you aren't mindful of what's going on, it can spiral you down like crazy. In my scenario, when I hear I am a failure, that's usually my own sinful self-condemnation. That's, that's an issue. Like I shouldn't be doing some of those things, right? But listen, sometimes in my head I hear you are a failure, and a lot of times that's the enemy trying to heap on guilt and accuse me and pile on and tell me something about myself that God does not say. It's the enemy accusing. If I listen to him, I empower him. And it can, again, it can spiral me down into darkness. Listen, you cannot take your thoughts captive like the text says if you're not mindful about your mind. You've got to know what's going on in there. That brings us to number two. We have to learn to identify the lies that we believe. It's a lie when I hear I'm a failure or you are a failure. Do you want to know why? Because that's not how God sees me. That's not what the Bible says about me. 
I can believe it sometimes, but it is a lie. And if I believe it, I have bought into the lie. Maybe some of you hear what I hear, but honestly, the lies across this room, like there's no telling how many there are, right? I know some of you are hearing like you are worthless. You will never overcome this issue, so you better just learn to live with it. You think God would still want you when you keep doing this thing over and over and over? Isn't that like the 10,000th time? You can't possibly change. Hey, this is just the way I am. I can't be different. Like, this is just me. Get used to it. Get over it. I could go on forever. You are dirty. No man is trustworthy or reliable. You will never grow into spiritual maturity. God can't use you because you have this thing in your life that you do all the time. Or, I'm awesome. And everybody should do it exactly the way I do it. And I've got this figured out. Why can't that guy clean himself up and be like me? Hey, you're good. Why are you taking the Bible so seriously? Nobody sees all the things that you're doing when nobody's looking, right? You do all this stuff around the church. You serve, you give. They don't see it. Nobody cares. My Sunday school teacher's at. <laughs> Don't, aren't we tempted to believe stuff like that all the time? I mean, literally, I could throw out hypothetical lies that we hear all the time, but the truth is you probably have something that the enemy is trying to throw at you that you're maybe throwing at yourself or something from your past. Like there's something in your life where the enemy is trying to bring that up. He's trying to get his foot in the door of your life or he's already set up shop and he's just heaping it on and you just can't seem to get past it. What lies are in your head? Can you identify the lie from the truth? Because the enemy is so convincing. He's so convincing. What I encourage you to do this week, be mindful about your mind. When you hear a lie, write it down. Like physically write it down. Um, if you don't write it down, say it out loud. Um, when I speak what my lie out loud, I usually tell it to my wife, and she's looking at me like, like she didn't say you're an idiot, but her face is like, you believe that? You know what I'm saying? Because the lie is so convincing in here, and then when you bring it to light, you're like, well, that's silly. You know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But when it sticks in your mind and you begin to believe it, you, you think it's true. Then it seems powerful. Then it seems like you don't have any truth. Like, and you just begin to spiral down. When you write it down or when you speak it out loud to somebody who hopefully loves Jesus and loves you, like, they'll help you identify that, hey, that is not true. Like, that's not who you are. That's not what the Bible says. That's not how God sees you. Like, like, there's something freeing when we bring our darkness to light. Like, there's something freeing about that. And, and that brings us right to our last thing is you have to replace the lie with the truth of God. Like, it's really important to identify the lie, but you have to, you have to fill your mind with the word of God, right? Like, like you, you have to just replace the lie. You have to replace the lie with the truth of God. This is where I think the gospel demolishes those strongholds. The truth of God is what demolishes the stronghold. Um, this is where the gospel shines bright and powerful and authoritative. And this is why the gospel is so good for Christians. Like, it is essential to all that we are that we would believe the truth of the gospel. Listen, I don't want to fight or argue. Maybe I do. I don't know. But a lot of, like modern stuff wants to tell you to empty your mind, okay? Empty your mind, breathe in, breathe out, blah, 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 right? Like, it's telling you those things. Maybe that's good for you. The Bible never tells you to do that. 
The Bible says the opposite. The Bible says to fill your mind. That's what Romans 12, 2 says. It says, it says like, fill your mind so you can be transformed. Psalm 1 says, meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Uh, Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, empty your mind. <laughs> no, it says think on those things, right? Like, it says think, like, that's what you should be focusing your mind on. Don't empty it. Fill it with the word of God. Fill it with the truth of God. Fill it with the very word and the heart of God for you from the Bible. Think about such things. Think. Think, think, think. As honestly as I can just tell you this morning, God loves you. And every temptation of the enemy, every lie of the accuser, everything we are tempted to believe, even that thing in your life that just constantly rears its ugly head, Jesus has an answer for it if we would just believe what he already said. Hey, you're not trapped by your sin. When Jesus rises from the dead, he breaks the power of sin, enemy, the enemy in hell. Like he literally overcame those things. Like you can be free. Romans 8 says that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The power lives in us. You are not trapped. Listen, you are not worthless. You are not worthless. Even though you are a sinner, Christ died for you because he loves you, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're not worthless. He loves you. You're not dirty, Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Listen, you may have been sinned against and it may have been awful, but Jesus doesn't just cleanse us of all the sins that we have committed. He cleanses us from all the things that have been done to us so that when God looks at us, he sees us perfectly righteous like he looks at Jesus. Like when God looks at you, he sees you the way he sees Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, if you are in Christ, you are clothed, you are covered, and you are clean. You are not annoying to God. <laughs> Some of you think you're annoying to God. Like you, you think... Ah, I can't come to him again. Like, he's got to be annoyed at this point. No, that's not what the Bible says. You are absolutely not annoying to God. He's beckoning you to himself like a good father. Galatians 4 says he, he's calling you to him to say, Abba, Father. Like, you're no longer a slave. You're a son. Like, he sees you as a good, good father sees his children. Like, he wants you to come to him. All the men in your life may have let you down, but he is the perfect father who is always faithful, who is always good, who you can always count on. Psalm 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. You don't have to be imprisoned by your lust. There's something better than the immediate pleasure or comfort. Psalm 16, 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There are, there are eternal pleasures in the presence of God that it can't compare to the earthly stuff we trade it for. Listen, this is not just who you are. In Christ, you are a new creation. Every lie Every temptation, every problem in this room, Jesus answers that and meets you where you're at. 
What freedom would we have in this place if we simply looked at ourselves the same way God looked at us? What freedom would there be in this room if we just simply believed that what the Bible said about us was true? When you actually believe the truth of God, it has the power to demolish strongholds. The enemy only has the power that we give him. And when we give, like when we believe what God says, what we will see is the enemy has no authority and he cannot stand because God is so much bigger. He will reign supreme. He's bigger than our sin. And church, he is calling you to him today. He's begging you to believe what he's already said. He's calling you to see yourself the way he sees you. He's calling you to abundant life, to walk with him. He's inviting you to it today. And the question is, are you going to receive it? Are you going to believe that what the Bible says about you is true? Would you bow your heads with me? I know that we've talked primarily to Christians today. I just want to take a moment and talk to those who don't know Jesus, um, just with nobody else looking around. Because here's my bet. If you're not a Christian today, I would bet money that there's a certain lie that you're believing that's preventing you from putting your faith in Jesus. Here's, I want to share with you, if you don't know Jesus, I want to share with you the one truth that since I've heard it, grasped it, I just cannot get past it. It's this. Jesus knew everything about you before he went to the cross and he still willingly went anyway. So he knows all the things you've done, all the things you're currently doing. He knows all the things you're about to do. He knew that before he went to the cross, and he still willingly went anyways. You know what that means? It means you're not too dirty to receive his love. It means you're not worthless because he paid an insane price for you. It means you haven't sinned so much that he couldn't forgive it. But do you know what else it means? It means he knows everything about you right here in this moment, and he still wants you. He still wants you. And that kind of love doesn't just change your life. It will change your eternity. And so if you're here this morning, we're so glad you're here. But if you're saying, hey, I want to become a Christian. I want to know more about this. Like if you're saying, I want to become a Christian, I'm just going to ask you right now to raise your hand so I can know who I'm talking to. If you're here today and you say, I want to become a Christian, would you raise your hand? All righty. Listen, I want to walk you through a prayer. And if you pray this prayer, I want you to, um, I want you to pray this prayer. What I want to acknowledge, though, is just saying these words does not save you, okay? It's this belief in our heart where we're putting our faith and trust in Christ. So I'm going to walk you through a prayer. I want you to repeat after me, and then I will kind of give you some next steps, okay? Say something like this. Um, Jesus, I acknowledge my sin before you. I do not have the ability to save myself or to make payment for my sin. I believe that you know me and love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose the third day. I want to put my faith and trust in you and give my life to you. Amen.